Yesterday we had nearly 30 people come and take part in our spring spruce up. Uh, some of it hopefully you can, you can see when you walk up. Other things you might not notice, like who, who uh, ever notices the power washing after it happens? When you're doing it, you notice, man, that, there are a few things more satisfying in life than power washing a really grungy sidewalk. It goes from black to white, it is, and that's what happened out here. Things that you may not notice from one Sunday to the other, but I guarantee you, they make the place look better. And uh, I think, I, I'm not even going to try to name all the people. I'm ringing down here. I don't know if y'all can hear it up there. Um, uh, there's a, I can't name everybody that came. I'm not even going to try. But from six to, no, seven. How old's Axel? Seven to 70 <clears throat> some. Um, we had quite the range of people uh, coming. And uh, the great thing about it is it's, it's more than just cleaning. That, that was a, a big part of it, but it was fellowship. And it's, it's fellowship that helps prepare us for discipleship. We get closer to each other as we do things together like that. And that's just a part of, of being a church family. So thank you to everyone that came out. Um, uh, th there was, like I said, we spent six hours, five hours, five and a half hours out here doing various jobs. We got more done than I thought we would do. I actually told Amy yesterday afternoon, I wish I'd had, we'd had more jobs because I think we could have gotten even more done because we had so many people. But thank you all that showed up and took part in that. Uh, we're continuing our, serve, uh, our, our, our uh, series through 1 Thessalonians, uh, the, uh, in word and power, as our series title. This morning, we're looking at holiness inside and out. And uh, we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But let's go over our memory verse. Uh, there are some more words missing. So we're, we're, we're slowly taking these words away. So say it with me. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. By the time we get done with this, we're going to say it with nothing up there. Y'all watch. You're going to be good at this. So the title, then, of the series, In Word and Power, Paul is now beginning to, and he's done it a few times, but we see it again. He's, he's sort of referencing that. He's, he's given us hints of what he has already told us. We see the gospel in word here in this passage, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We see the gospel in word through, uh, in the commands through the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, commands through the Lord Jesus. We see gospel in power when he says, do more in the Holy Spirit. Uh, if I could have us have another memory, as a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Let's, let's do another memory verse, but I think we can get this one fairly easily. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Do this even more. Can Y'all can, can remember that, right? Do this even more. That's really the, the, probably the big theme of this, this passage. Do this even more. He says it twice. He says it when he is uh, 
introducing this call to sanctification in verse 1. He says it again in talking about love in verse 10. Do this even more. This is actually, this should be our motto as believers. What am I getting right in, in my walk with Christ? Great. Do this even more. What am I getting wrong in my walk with Christ? Do this even less. See, no, you, some of y'all said do this even more. No, because he calls us to holiness, to sanctification in the first passage. As a matter of fact, he's saying you are sanctifying, you are becoming more holy, you are obeying the instructions I gave you. Do this even more. Do this even more. That's our preparation for this passage. He, he writes to uh, the church in Thessalonica this. He says, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands he gave you through the Lord, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. And we also previously, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need, to me, don't need me to write you, because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. This is just a, a, to help you out in, in life in general. When you're reading from a book, but for the most of the time you read from a screen, doing this to your Bible does not make the text go higher up to make it easier to read. Y'all didn't see it, I don't think, but if you, if you watch the video, you will see me as I move down the page, put my hand up here, and do this little thing. That's just to help y'all out, because I know some of you are thinking, can I do that on a book? No, you can't. And you'll look like a moron in front of people when you do. So just, just don't do that. God's will, that's how he starts out, right, in verse... Verse 3, uh, for this is God's will. God's will, as Etta said last, Wednesday, uh, last Sunday night in her testimony, and we've talked about a bunch of times, God's will is often small obediences over and over. We, we want, and, and rightfully do, seek God at times of big decisions. God, what is your will for my life as far as a job? Lord, what is your will for my life in ministry as far to, as where to go next? I ain't going anywhere. 
But when the time comes, what's, what's this? What is your will for the life of our church? We, we seek God in, in these big decisions, but most of life, most of the Christian walk is just small obediences over and over. If I'm, if I'm uh, obedient right here in this little bitty thing, and, 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 I'm, and I'm obedient here in this next little bitty thing, and I'm obedient here in this next little bitty thing, I find that eventually I have moved down God's path for me and covered a great distance. Now, there are going to be those times when we, these small obediences get us to a time of big decision, and we have to decide what is the Lord telling me? But I, I'm telling you that if we have followed in small obediences along the way, that big decision is rarely as much a problem as we think it is. Usually, when we are praying, God, what am I supposed to do here? What's the next step? What's the next thing? We already know. We're either A, wanting God to change his mind... Or B, we're just wanting some confirmation on what's next. We just want to see some handwriting or a, a do you on a fleece or do you not on a fleece or, or something. We, we want some sort of burning bush. We want something to say yes, but I don't think we get those things very often either. I think we look back and we see those small obediences and go, and I'm continuing to follow God. I know what's next. And we take that step. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, you're doing this. You're, you're, you're following these small obediences. Do this even more. Continue to follow in those small obediences. Follow in the big obediences too as they come up. And, and then he gets into what is the meat of this section. Verses 3 through 12. 3 through 8 in one section. 9 through 12 in the other. And we see that in a church, as he writes to this church, in a church sanctification, the first one, verse 3, and love, verse 9, go hand in hand. We will not be sanctified as a church without love. We, we have not been sanctified as a church if we don't have love. These two are reciprocal, and it is, uh, it's no coincidence that they follow one after the other. What we do inside the church affects what we do outside the church, how we are seen outside the church, how our message is received outside the church. So that's why the title of today's message is Holiness Inside and Out. Not holiness inside me and outside of me, but holiness inside the church and outside the church. So what does holiness inside the church look like? He says in verse 3, For this is God's will, your sanctification. Inside, it's sanctification. Well, that's, you want to say to Paul, duh. I mean, that, that's right. We're, we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to grow in maturity. It's a lifelong process. We are uh, justified when we are saved, and then throughout of our, our lives, we are to be sanctified, made more holy, made more like Jesus until the day that we die, and we're raised to uh, 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 new life, and we are glorified. We get our new bodies, and we are made perfect finally. So yeah, Paul sanctified. 
And then he chooses one topic to address. Why, Paul? Why, why this topic? Well, there, there are a number of reasons. One thing we do know is that this wasn't the only area that was a sin problem in that church. This topic covers a lot of different um, branches of sin, taking advantage of other people, personal holiness, uh, the, the um, personal control, all, all these not looking like everybody else. And probably that last one is, is the biggest one, not looking like everybody else. When Paul calls us to sanctification, calls the church in Thessalonica to sanctification, he is calling them to be different from the culture. So, to be sanctified in the uh, area of sexual immorality would be to counter the culture from which they came. It was, it was a time of extremely loose sexual morals. They, they didn't it was kind of free love. It was, it was what? The, the U.S. in the 70s. It was just whatever, whatever you want goes. And, 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 and that's where we, we find ourselves today to a great extent. But then it was not a big deal for a man to have a mistress. It was not a big deal for pedophilia to occur. It was not a big deal for all these things to happen, especially if you had a slave. It was, they were just property. It didn't matter what you did to them. It was not a big deal to go to uh, the temple, and I'm talking about the pagan temples, and take part in temple prostitution. That was part of their worship. This was all a part of the culture from which these believers came. And their lives in so many ways were both affected by and, and could come into contact with these old habits, these old lifestyles. And the other reason is because this particular sin is a difficult one to let go of. It's, it's not just a psychological thing, it's, it's, it's a, a chemical, uh, endorphins, it's physical, it, it's one that would have been very, very hard for these people to truly pull back from and leave behind. And so, Paul has to address this one topic, have it serve as an umbrella topic about what, uh, how they should be sanctified but then begin to really uh, drill down here on some aspects of this topic. We'll look at that briefly. He says first in verses 4 and 5, to control your own desires. This is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't, no, God. He tells them, you've got to control yourself. That takes work and time. That is the process of sanctification. Let's be honest, to not give in to any sin is to control yourself. Those donut holes back there with all the chocolate poured all over them, this is the first time we've had those. I usually eat one donut and get one, maybe two cups of coffee, depending on how much time. I don't know how many of those chocolate-covered donut holes I had. And I had my other donut, too. 
it was hard to... I resemble that remark. It was for the kids. Well, the kids got some, just not all of them. But they were good. It was hard to control myself. Now, that's minor, except that the Bible talks about gluttony, and clearly that is not a sin I have defeated yet. So, now let's, let's expand that into something that has been a lifestyle. Well, to be honest, gluttony is a lifestyle. I go and I eat, I clean my plate at, at, at restaurants when I should have eaten half what was on the plate or whatever. To call us to be holy, to control our desires, takes work and time. And the reality is, I will go a while, I'll lose five, six, seven pounds because I cut back on how much I eat. And then I go back and, well, you know, I'll just eat a little more today. And I say that for three months. Let's take that into their realm. They have come from this lifestyle of loose morals where, where it was everywhere, where it was expected, was actually a part of their worship very likely at the time. And now they're expected to just let go of that. Paul tells them, you've got to control your, 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 yourselves. You have to control your own desires. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And the culture around you will not get it. He says in verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Or actually just, chapter, just verse 5. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. They don't get it. The culture does not understand why we stand against as a church transgenderism, why, why we believe that there are two genders, male and female. There is confusion. There, there are psychological problems. There are problems with, uh, that are brought on by environment when children are raised certain ways. There are, uh, there are sinful desires that lead to all these. But, but we stand on the truth that there are two, male and female, and that's it. And the culture doesn't understand why. Because we take God at his word and not culture at their word. Paul knew that they wouldn't get it. The culture does not understand why we have the stands, the morals that we have. We believe God created people a certain way. Only two ways. Now, does that mean we don't? love people who are suffering from gender dysphoria and all the, the uh, things that come with that? No, we do. He's going to talk about that just in the next few verses, that we handle those, those situations with love. <laughs> Justin, you're walking away with the tablet again and the lights are changing. We fit commercial break. We figured out what the problem was a few weeks ago when the lights kept changing. If the tablet gets out of reach of a particular, the tablet controls the lights. If it gets out of reach of a particular um, Wi-Fi router, the lights go from tablet control to that little pad on the back that has a little red light on it right now. That means it's not in control. When that thing turns green, it means it's in control. That's what was happening last week. The tablet was going back and forth between the router 
And so the lights would go to that, to this, to that, to this. So Justin, wherever you are, you, you've gotten away from the router. Hmm? Yeah, it's back now. Yeah, the little red light is on. So, so now I tell you that so when it happens, you know why. We don't have to go, what in the world's happening? We know. So the culture is not going to get it. But we also, as we control ourselves, as we control our own desires, as we uh, keep away from sexual immorality, that we understand that if we don't, or if those desires control us, that it leads to greater problems. Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. So we don't abuse or allow abuse. There are a number of Old Testament passages that talk about uh, sexual abuse and, and, and those types of things, how to handle it. To my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but this is the boldest statement uh, against sexual abuse in the New Testament. Paul is saying here that without a control over your desires, it will grow. Well, we know temptation does that. It always grows. It always wants more. Oh, I'll just give in a little this time. Well, you may, but, but next time you'll give in a little bit more. And next time a little bit more. And that's what he's saying. Don't allow these things to grow. Don't allow this immorality, immorality to grow in you so that you end up transgressing against and taking advantage of a brother and sister in this manner. This would be both abuse, sexual abuse and abuse of power. Uh, I've talked a little bit about resolutions that we passed at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting last year. I talked about it more probably in our SBC Q&A uh, that we had when we got back. We'll do that again this year, by the way, because I think it was very helpful for us. And I've talked a little bit about the, the report from the Houston Chronicle that found over 700 instances of sexual abuse just in Southern Baptist churches over the past 20, 30 years, maybe longer. And that doesn't sound like a big number, but let me tell you, it's a huge number for the victims. And it's too many. It's over 700 too many. There are laws now, uh, one in Tennessee that I, that I know of very specifically, because a friend of ours wrote the law and got it passed, that says that uh, it's called a clergy abuse law, and it says that a, a pastor, minister, priest that gets involved in a relationship with a person that was under their spiritual care is breaking the law. Now what that doesn't mean is that if there's a single pastor and he marries, they start, he starts dating someone in the church, they start going out that that's breaking the law. It's not talking about legitimate relationship. It's that pastor penitent. I don't know if y'all have heard of pastor penitent privilege before. It's that uh, it's the law that says if, if somebody tells me something in private, in confidence, I can't then um, go out and I can't, they can't use that, can't use me in court 
Did he tell you this? Pastor penitent privilege. So you, you, if there's that sort of relationship and the pastor abuses that, that's an abuse of power. That's illegal now in a number of states. It's not just Tennessee. It's, it's, it's in a bunch of states. That's the sort of thing that this is talking about here. It's, it's this, this lack of control of your own urges, your own impulses that then leads you, and I use pastors as an example, but this goes for all of us, that then leads you to not control yourself and you transgress and take advantage, transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister. This is a direct admonishment of the sex abuse scandals in our SBC churches and our Southern Baptist entities like the International Mission Board or the Executive Committee. And more than, I believe, more than just us watching ourselves individually, this is a call. This is giving us the responsibility to protect the vulnerable and to right wrongs that have been committed. It's why we as a church do a background check on any person who ever works with our youth or children. It doesn't matter if you're just up in the room once a month. You're, you're, we're going to it, y'all hear that? Feeding back bad there. Here it comes again. Do I need to use that? And he and I know why. Okay, so what are we going to do? What am I using? I see some motion, but the lights keep me. Okay, I'm on the. All right, we good? All right, we're good. I'm going to put this back down then for a minute until I need it. All right, so. Where was I? We have a responsibility to protect the vulnerable and right wrongs. There we go. Yes. So it's not just that we control ourselves, but then if someone hasn't, we take, uh, uh, we, uh, well, we have a responsibility to, to fix that. There's a word I'm looking for that, that, that I've lost now. We have the responsibility to say, to call it out, to, to protect the, the abused, to, to right the wrong anytime it happens. And, and, and does that mean that people in the community are going to hear that something happened at our church? Yes. Well, Michael, that goes against what we're about to talk about here in just a few minutes where we're wanting to uh, have a good reputation in the community. Let me tell you, our reputation in the community is far more greatly harmed. Whew, that was an awkward sentence. Is much, it's harmed much worse 
if we are seen to be covering up abuse than if we are seen to be handling abuse that everybody is eventually going to hear happened anyway. How do we handle things that happen in our church? That's the question. And no, I have nothing to, no, no news I'm going to share today. This is, this is where we are in the text. So this is what we're talking about today. Our reputation as a church and protecting ourselves as a church doesn't matter as much as protecting the vulnerable and the victims. And so we take to heart this passage that says we control ourselves, we don't transgress against a brother or sister, we don't take advantage of a brother and sister, and since he is writing this to the church, we as a church then take steps, there's the word I wanted earlier, such a hard one, take steps to fix it, to prevent it, to do the right thing when the right thing is called for. It's an issue we've had in our convention. Uh, It's not anymore, uh, not as far as taking the right steps, but it's still a struggle to know what the right steps are at the right time. We, our, our tendency is always, well, we've got to protect the Lord's reputation. The Lord died naked on a cross, okay? He was not concerned about his reputation. His reputation is that he saved mankind if we will trust him. His reputation is that all of our sins are forgiven if we, will, if we will come to him. That reputation is not harmed by sinners admitting they sinned. If anything, that reputation is bolstered when a sinner says, I've sinned. When a church says, we are going to do more, we are going to do better when it comes to protecting the vulnerable and the victims. And we also see our call here because Paul goes on to say at the end of the, uh, the verse, the Lord is an avenger of all avenger. The Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. The Lord will avenge the abuses. The Lord will avenge uh, those that are taking advantage of. People. The, the Lord will avenge those who don't control their own body. And sometimes the Lord uses, very often the Lord uses, the legal system and church discipline to avenge these things that happen. And so we see Paul calling the church both to holiness and to handle uh, what happens in the church in a holy way. Verse 7, he says, For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Live in holiness. And it doesn't matter what the culture or law say. It doesn't matter if the culture says, well, that's, that's, that relationship's okay. We're, gonna, you know, we're not worried about that one. That, well, it matters what God's word says. He's writing to, again, a culture where the law and the culture said a lot of these things were just fine. No big deal. And Paul says, in the midst of that, in the midst of a permissive culture, live in holiness. Our standard 
is not what the culture says, not even what the law says. And, and the law is, is flipping now. The law that is, is beginning to allow things that we would never allow as believers, that God's Word doesn't allow. And in those cases, we will have to go against the law because we will stand for God's Word before we stand for man's Word. And will there be punishments for that? Very possibly. Most likely. And yet we will stand on our Holy Spirit standard. Anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you His Holy Spirit. For this is God's will, your sanctification. Verse 9, about brotherly love. Paul's doing bullet points here. He's going he's gonna to have some more as he moves through. But these are the most, um, the ones that require change in action. Not just change in belief, not just change in understanding, but require us to do something differently or do something even more. Number two, outside love. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write. See, this is our reputation within culture. The first one, sanctification, that tells us we are different from culture. But we still live in a culture. We cannot get out of our American, Southern, Louisiana, Southwest Louisiana, sulfur culture. And there are plenty of others because, as I've said before, each family has its own culture. That, that's where we are. We can't get out of that. So, therefore, we must live a particular way within that culture. And that particular way is love. That's what Paul is telling them here. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact... You are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. See, it started on the inside. The love started on the inside. He's holiness, that's inside. That's inside, but that's inside. Now, love. It, it, it's about outside, but it's going to start right here. A church that doesn't love each other is not going to love the world. A church that doesn't love each other is not going to be seen as loving by the world. And he tells them, y'all, you're doing this. You, you, you love each other. You love the believers in the whole region of Macedonia, that whole area. Everybody knows how the church in Thessalonica loves the other brothers, the believers, brothers and sisters in that region. It's, it's, everybody knows. Do this even more. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Or if you don't like that address... 1 Thessalonians 4.10. Do this even more. Love them even more. What does that look like? Because that's the question, right? Paul says, you loving each other, do it more. We love, we love each other even more? Or we, we love, what, what do you mean even more? What's that going to look like? He doesn't leave us just stranded there. He gives us some ideas of what that would look like. First, he says, in fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers, sisters in the region. Um, do it even more. It's gonna, the reason he talked about holiness, sanctification first, and then moves into love, is that in part, 
our love for each other looks like our holiness, our sanctification in the area of sexual morality. If we are a moral people, if we are following the words of Jesus in that area, and if we are handling well when someone among us doesn't, when there is abuse of some kind, if we are handling that well, if we are calling that out, if we are turning them into the authorities, if we were doing all the things that we should be doing when that happens, that shows love. And that would also mean that we as a church stand beside the accused, the, 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 the one who did it. Let's not just assume the, the, the accused, let's assume the convicted we as a church have a ministry to that person, whoever it may be, whenever it may be. Does that mean that we are condoning, accepting, or any of that? No. Does that mean we don't take the necessary disciplinary steps? No. But it does mean that we as a church continue to minister to that person to see change. The relationship has changed. Things are different. Ain't no doubt about that. But we still stand by them. Just as we should anyone who sins, whether it's the alcoholic, former alcoholic, that falls off the wagon, the former drug addict that gets back into it, the, 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 the girl, who, woman who feels she has no other choice but to have an abortion. Whatever the sin is that's committed, we as a church do not kick them out and say, we're done with you. We seek to be gracious, to have grace, to see them restored. Ain't none of that easy. It's not easy to figure out how, and it's not easy to do it the right way. Life is messy. So it looks like holiness that we've already seen. But Paul goes on to say, what does this love look like? If you're going to do this even more, what, what does it look like? Verse 11, uh, or verse 10 rather, first increase the love you already have. You love each other, do this even more. So I like what I'm seeing, do that, but let's talk about some other things. Verse 11, it, love doesn't look like a public spectacle. He says, to seek to lead a quiet life. It's an interesting choice. Actually, all of these are interesting. You're loving each other, love, yourself, love each other even more, and here's how. Seek to lead a quiet life. What he's talking about here is avoiding public controversy. Don't make a public spectacle. Don't have conflict with authorities. Now, Paul, you're just, you're, you're just now telling me to go against the culture. The culture is going to want one thing from us, and we as a church are going to have to do something else because that's what God, God's Word says. We are automatically going to be at conflict with the culture. And he knows that. Here's a man who was killed by the culture. Okay, He understands that we are going to be at conflict. He knows what it is to be stoned and have the entire community lie about him and say, oh, this man's trying to, to, to stir up sedition against the Roman government. This is horrible. He knows these things, and yet he says, live a quiet life. We as believers have to take a stand on God's word. 
but we don't have to be social media jerks about it. If, if we had social media, and if he had had it, and that's what, that's what he would say, stop your little memes on social media that make demons out of everyone that you disagree with or that, that are nasty and hateful to anyone who doesn't think the way you do. Don't be, and I'm, well, I'm not going to use his name, but don't be a pastor in Tennessee that talks about talking to demons, telling him what witches he has in church. If you don't know, don't worry about it. But don't do these things. Don't make a public spectacle of yourself standing against the culture. It will be a spectacle enough just that we don't give in. The culture may make a spectacle of us. Maybe they feed us to lions or put us in the Colosseum to, to be killed by gladiators or crucify us uh, upside down like Peter or probably beheaded like Paul or who knows. We may be made a public spectacle of, but we are not to make of ourselves a public spectacle. Lead a quiet life. He goes on. Mind your own business. I think he said business. He did. He meant business. It looks like focusing more on your own holiness. The world is going to be the world, okay? The world is going to get worse. Disney is going to say stupid, horrible things, just, just the way it is. They're going to have an agenda. They're going to want to push that agenda. Hollywood is going to want to do it. Parts of the government are going to want to do it. The culture is going to get worse and worse and worse. And you know what? At some point, it may get kind of better, and then it'll get worse, and then maybe it'll do this. Then Jesus is going to come back and take care of all of it, and great. The point is, mind your business. Verse 3, your sanctification Whose job is it, nope, who are we supposed to sanctify? The world? Any of y'all able to do that? How were you sanctified? How did you even get started on sanctification? You woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to stop all those bad things I did. No, we begin our sanctification with justification, with Jesus. Now, this does not mean that we don't stand against things that are wrong or evil. It doesn't mean we don't take on, uh, we, we don't fight against abortion or we don't stand against transgender ideology or any of those things. It doesn't mean we don't take stands. But one of the worst statements that can be made, uh, no, that's not the right way to put it. When someone who has, there was a, 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 a Republican official, uh, I don't remember if he was a congressman or senator or what, he's, he's dead now, uh, he was one of the, the moral majority types, I mean, the, the, everything, he, he wanted all the laws against everything that, truthfully, God's word is, said is bad. 
after we died, he died, we learned he was a pedophile. Now, maybe he wanted all those laws because he knew what he was doing was wrong and he was tr- looking for a way to stop himself. I, I don't know. He was, a, he was an abuser. He didn't focus on his own holiness. We've got to do that, church. And when I say church, I don't mean just y'all. I mean the whole church. Because when the world hears us say, that's wrong, and they look at us and go, you're doing it too. That's whataboutism, and we hate that, and we, well, you're doing it, I'm doing it, you're doing it. But we're called to be holy. They're right. We are supposed to be different. The world is supposed to be acting like the world. That's what we should expect. But we are called to be different. We need to be more concerned. Doesn't mean we're not concerned with the other, but we need to be more concerned with our holiness than the world's sinfulness. The world is going to be sinful, but without us controlling your own body, we will be more sinful too. There's a reason Paul said these things. The way he did. In another passage, he, called, he talked about planks and specks. You're worried about the speck in your brother's eye. I'm sorry, Jesus said that, not Paul. You're worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in yours. Work on your log, then help your brother get the speck out. You know, the, the next thing he says love looks like, and another odd thing to say, except for maybe the culture he was in, Work with your own hands as we commanded you. He's telling them to not be an intentional burden on society. Work with your own hands. Don't choose to live off society, which would have been a very easy thing to do, and it still is if, if you want to. Why? Because that doesn't look like love. The, the, the society needs to help those who need help. Society doesn't need to help those who don't need help. And so government has, they think they have ways to figure out who's who, and that can be debated as to whether it works or not. But nonetheless, Paul says, do not be a, an intentional burden on, other, uh, on society. See, all of these, all, all those things that seem sort of, Paul, are you pulling these out? No, no, he's not. Just pulling them out of the air. The Holy Spirit told him to write this. All of these are a result of our love for others. Not transgressing against a brother or sister. Not taking advantage of a brother or sister. Loving even more. Seeking to lead a quiet life. Minding our own business. Working with our own hands. All of these are a result of our love for others. And then he says why? Verse 12. So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. It's our reputation among the culture. That's what he's talking about here. When he tells us to love more in here and then to deal correctly with what goes on outside, it is so that 
We have a good reputation and therefore a good relationship as best as we can. Paul does write in Romans, as much as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone includes everyone in the culture. He's telling us, your love will give you the opportunity to share the gospel. So, let's wrap this up. Who we are inside, inside, affects how we are seen outside. Who we are in here as a church affects how the community sees us. I do not mind the community saying those narrow-minded Baptists down at First Baptist Sulphur don't think that I can be a woman even though I was, somebody told me at birth I was a man. I don't mind them saying that about me or about us. I'll say, you're right. I don't think you can be, I think you can call yourself things. I think you can do things to make it look like it. But you're never going to change what God made you. I don't, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. What I don't want to be able, for, for, for someone outside the church to be able to say, and you hate me because of it. No. The truth is we love you. We love you enough to tell the truth, but we love you enough to tell the truth lovingly so that you come to know the truth, the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. Because who we are inside affects both how we are seen outside and how we are seen outside affects how the gospel is seen by those outside. If we are, if we are known as a church that believes certain things, is convicted by those certain things, stands on those convictions, but loves people outside of their circle, the gospel goes out. I'm going to say this too, and this may be the most controversial thing I say all morning, but we will not be known as a loving church. There are a lot of things we can do and say to be a loving church, but I'm talking about today in our culture, current times, the way things are politically, we will not be known as a loving church until people who didn't vote like the majority of y'all feel comfortable coming to church here. Well, Michael, what, the way you vote, that doesn't... No, it does. And because that's what we talk about. If, if I want to talk about the various memes on social media, 90% of the things are about politics and the way people vote. If someone who didn't vote the way you do can't come to church here and feel loved, we're not a loving church. I don't care how wrong you think they are. I don't care what their morals would look like. I don't care who comes to church here. They should feel loved. I don't care how they dress. I don't care how... Um, I, I, I don't care that they dress a way you wouldn't think that person should dress. Get my drift? Because it's a dress and not pants. You know? Um... Until people feel like we will love them where they are. Jesus loves them where they are. He doesn't want to leave them there. We don't want to leave them there. We're not going to stop speaking truth or preaching truth. 
But until people believe that we love them, no matter what, they're not going to think we're a loving church. That's just the way it is. Our holiness matters. According to this passage, our holiness matters because our community reputation matters. People care about what we think about God's word. But they care more about how much we love them. And that is quite the command of Scripture. It's not the only reason. Our holiness doesn't matter only because our community reputation matters. But that's the reason Paul is addressing it here. How we handle sin matters. Our sin and their sin. How we protect the vulnerable matters. How we love each other matters. How we love those not like us vote different, think different, matters. How we love the lost matters. And y'all, just because they think different, vote different, doesn't mean they're lost. Sometimes we think that. There's no way a Christian could believe, if I could get inside your head, there are a few things in there, I guarantee, for every one of us, that we could say, there's no way a Christian could believe We all have those things. A church that proclaims a gospel that comes in word and power must be an example of personal sanctification and bountiful love inside and out. Here's what I want you to walk away with, so I want you to hear it again. A church that proclaims a gospel that comes in word and power, our series theme, A gospel that comes in word and power must be an example of personal sanctification. This is God's will, your sanctification. And bountiful love about brotherly love. Do this even more. Inside and out so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders. Church, let's be that church that stands firmly on God's word. And says, this is what God's word says, and we will not deviate from it, no matter what the culture says. But let's also be the church that says, if you disagree with me, well, you're disagreeing with God's word, but you know what? I love you anyway, because I want you to have a relationship with the Jesus I have a relationship with. I love you enough to tell you what God's word says, But I want you saved badly enough that I will tell you in a loving way so that I don't create more division where culture and sin already tries to create it. We have the words of salvation. We serve a loving God who loved us enough to send his son to die for us. A loving God that would take the very fact that the wages of sin is death Romans 6.23, this, this guarantee that we will die because of our sin, all of our sins, your sexual sin sends you to hell, but y'all, your gossip sends you to hell too. Read Paul's lists of sins. He throws murder and gossip and slander right in the same list. So, you know, let's not say, well, my sin's okay, all right? All of our sin. Send us to hell. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
God wants us to have a relationship with him, eternal life with him. And that gift of God is in the person of Christ Jesus our Lord. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, those are the the, the elements of our understanding of what salvation means. We can have a relationship with God. He's not calling you to clean up. He's not calling any of you to vote different before you come to Jesus, have a different opinion of transgenderism or abortion or gossip or murder. He's not calling you to change anything before you come to him. He is saying, come to me and I will change you. That's the Jesus we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are changing us well, sometimes we don't even want to change ourselves. Lord, that, that you call our church to sanctification and to love. You call us to holiness in here so that we may have a gospel presence out there. So the world will know us by our love. We will, they will know we are your disciples by our love, one for another. And then we will take that love and share it. God, this isn't easy. This, we are truly hurt, burdened by the sin we see in the world. It, 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 is, it is a physical hurt sometimes. It's a mental anguish. It's a, the psychological pain that it causes when we see certain things happen. We, we want to yell and scream and throw things, and yet... You tell us to respond in love. And God, that is only possible because of your word that comes in power through the Holy Spirit. God, we can only have that sort of reaction because of you. I pray we would respond to a broken world, a world full of sin, a world that does not believe your word but we would respond with compassion and love so that we have the opportunity to show the truth of your word. May our lives never get in the way of your gospel. We pray for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe this morning you have a a next step to take. We all do, and I don't know what it is for you. You need to accept Christ. Be baptized. Conform your life to Christ today. Some, some things that you need to do right there at your seat. Maybe you'd like to pray with me. I'll be down here. Amy will be over here on the left. We'll have a couple of men in the back that would love to pray for you. Submit to God's plan, uh, to his purpose in your life. Maybe you need to join our church. Follow in obedience. Maybe you need to work on your own personal holiness and the love that you have for others. We're having a time of response as we sing. Let's stand, and we're going to sing. If you'd like to share that decision, come forward, message us online, write it on a comment card. Let us know what God's doing in your life as we do business with Him this morning.